Okay, so the order of the morning is any questions in general, questions on the message, and then we can go to the handout if there's nothing from that. And the next thing to deal with in the handout is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, questions in general. I Yeah, if we get to the... Okay. Willoughby, can, you, can, can I volunteer you? Thank you. If you would be so kind, anyone who needs this, just give them a copy of this. Okay. Um, any questions? Elsa. Yes. Yeah. Will I sometime be discussing what heaven will be like? I, there's nothing on the sermon schedule anytime soon. I can, I can have Daniel do a message on heaven. Yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to read three quarters of them. Um, yeah. Stop, stop, no, no. Stop, we're moving on, moving on. Moving on. But by the way, here's a good litmus test for these, these heaven books, heavenly tourism books. If Jesus looks like he does in the Gospels and not like he does after the resurrection in Revelation, they're probably wrong. Jesus has received the name that is above every name. Every, he, he is glorified. And if he still looks like humbled, high-five Jesus, something smells like it's off. That's just, anyway, moving on. Um, other so we can we can do something else. We can talk, but no, there's nothing planned to deal with, with heaven anytime soon. Um, any other questions? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's that is a great question. There's a whole bunch. Let me let me repeat the question, Bridget. Bridget's question. Okay, if everything's sacred, what if your job's sinful? There's a whole yeah this. Even prepping what I did, and I and I was um, talking to a, to a friend earlier. That there, so many of these points, we could just talk about. This could be a two or three part series. Um, no, but that's one of the problems. I think sometimes if your work isn't meaningful, if your work doesn't have value, if your work isn't helping anybody, or if your work is flat out sinful, you're gonna have problems. Um, I, I think that's one of the challenges with people who have to do sales. It's so easy and say, I mean, you can do sales righteously, but if you're doing sales righteously, you're actually trying to serve the person you're selling to. And if you have a good product, you can do that in faith. It's just so easy to slip down that hill of, of your motive. Now you're not trying to serve them. You're trying to serve yourself. You're trying to make money. You're not trying to bless them. You're not trying to be honest. Just, sales is tough. I, I, I think people that are in commissioned sales jobs have a very, very difficult um job to do that in faith. It absolutely can be done in faith. But I think it's the little bit of experience I have in sales, it is hard. Um, and there's just some flat-out jobs. I, I had a friend of mine who, had to, who quit his job working at a gas station because part of his job in the gas station involved selling pornography. Well, think about it. Hey, can you please hand me that hustler back there? And he goes over and he picks it up and he rings it up. And, and in his mind, he's participating in the sale of wickedness. Um, the Christian bartenders. I, I used to, I attended bar a couple of times, even as a Christian, working at a, uh, 
at a hotel for functions. And absolutely, God's given, I mean, you go to the Psalms, God has given wine to gladden the hearts of men. That's what David said, take it up with him. Um, Jesus made wine. I know some of you are still angry about that. That's okay. Um, but obviously, we know there are also people who are slaves to alcohol. And, and, I, and I know it would be very difficult for me to think through that. The difference between helping someone, you know, selling someone a libation that, that is, is godly and good, and here's someone that I'm, in, and I'm, I'm perpetuating their cycle of slavery. That'd be challenging. Um, or, you know, telemarketing must be difficult. I suppose that the good you're selling and you really believe in, but I, I can imagine there'd be some people who the, they don't, they really don't believe the work they do is of any value. And then I think you're going to really be, have a hard time doing it to the glory of God and doing it um, and feeling satisfied. I and mean, if you feel like I work today at nothing, you know, yeah, I think that's going to ring a bit hollow. Fair enough. Um, and you just got to think through some of those things. I'm just trying to bring up a couple examples of what you're doing. But ultimately, are, is anyone blessed by this? Is anything good being done? Um, and, and that's where you got to realize, you know, okay, you're a computer programmer. You're a small little cog in this big machine. But if you see, I'm, I'm a small part in something good being done, then get great, you know? Um, any, any questions on that? Does that make sense at all? Um, yes. If you don't see any good in it, would I quit that job? If I didn't see any good in it, I would look for another job. I'm not saying I'd stop doing the one I have. I would, I would like, I think it would be good, I think I would feel more satisfied and fulfilled doing something I thought had value than something I thought was meaningless. Um, so I suppose if somebody wanted to pay me $20 an hour to you know, um, stand in the parking lot all day, if I was in a pinch, maybe I'd take it. But I'd have a hard time feeling like I did anything useful or meaningful, you know, if if that was what I was being paid to do. Um, it, it would be hard to find. I'm thinking like the redheaded league from Sherlock Holmes. You ever read that story? No, okay. The guy gets paid to basically copy a dictionary by hand. They're just trying to get it, they're trying to get him out of this house, but he gets this amazing job where he is just paid to sit in a room and copy the encyclopedia. But they're basically just trying to get him out of his house. Um, but anyway, it's unlikely that'll happen. But but yeah, if you're if you're doing a job that is sinful, I think you probably not you probably I think you need to stop. If you if you're convinced what you do is wicked, um, you're the cameraman on a pornography shoot. Don't go to work today. Just call in. You're done. And if you're doing something that's absolutely meaningless, I'd encourage you to find something you find meaning in. You know. Um, or to think through and press through. Because that's the other problem is we just look at what we do. I just put in numbers. But if there's a value, if there's a service, I mean, this Zeb and I were talking about this earlier, that our work is meant to bless our fellow man. Our work is meant to do good. It's part of subduing the earth. It's part of, it's part of loving our neighbor. And so in some of these bigger corporations, you may have a hard time seeing how your little inputting of data or your little clearing of forms is of any use. But if you step back and look at it, no, I'm, I'm part of something. Just in the same way that people who are you know, paving runway strips are helping with missions. They're not out there doing, they're not out there in the jungles, but they need places to land their planes. You know, you, you got to see the bigger picture. You, you want to add anything to that, Zeb? You were talking about that? Yeah. Even as a, um, as a small part of that, I felt like that was a, a 
but you didn't feel like you were sinning. You just, you, no, you wanted to find, you, you thought you'd find more fulfillment doing a service and a work that you, you could have more confidence was good. Yeah. 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 Sure. Sure. Right. And, and to be clear, I think this is a person-by-person, case-by-case thing. There obviously, I think, are some jobs that you just can't do in faith. Like, you know, I'm a professional thief. You know, no. Um, but I think somebody might be able to sit down and look at Zeb's same thing and find meaningful. But I, I, I applaud Zeb for saying, look, I don't feel fulfilled. I don't feel like I'm doing anything of any value. I don't have that sense of satisfaction to come home from work. Zeb looked for a new job where you could, you, and you have that feeling like you're doing something now, right? Okay. Amen. That's, that's all I'm saying is I think part, if you don't feel, if you don't feel satisfied with what you do, either think through it and ask them to help you think, help me think through why what I'm doing is any use. Maybe you've never even thought about that. You know, um, I, for a couple of weeks, I made heat sinks in a factory plastic molding and you just sort of file off the edges, inhale some chlorine, file off the edges. But if you stand back, heat sinks are important. They're necessary. They're a product. Every one of you has got a computer is thankful it doesn't overheat because it has a heat sink. Now, it's just really easy for me. Like, I'm just the guy opening and closing and the filing and, you know, and I didn't, still didn't find that terribly fulfilling and satisfying, but it absolutely can be done in faith. It absolutely can be done in faith. God does not promise. One of the other problems we have in our culture is we, we bought into this notion. It's great. It is a wonderful thing to work and feel like you've been called to something and you're doing something you're great at. But only in a first world country are those types of things options. In plenty of places, you just work from sunup to sundown so you don't starve. And it's not a matter of, well, do I really feel fulfilled gathering sticks and picking, you know, vegetables? No, but I'm not starving. Like, so this is this is a gradient of good, better, best, and moving towards this. But I think sometimes we feel entitled. If I'm not doing something that I absolutely feel is meaningful and significant and valuable, then I won't do it. No, that's that's why they pay you, right? Right. Yeah. But I would encourage you, if you can, move towards things you find more value and move towards things you find more fulfillment, and that's that's a good thing to do if you're able. But it's, it's silly to talk about this when there's plenty of places where people just pick rice all day, every day, long hours. Um, you know, it's not, well, what do you feel like being when you grow up? It's not, a, it's not a question you're considering in some places of the world. I want to be alive. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we do have this freedom. We do have this luxury um, to, to do this. And like when I was talking also about making work too much of a god, there are some places where you're just literally working sun up to sundown just to stay alive, and that's what you need to do to keep your family alive. What I'm talking about here is where people already have enough money, they're living comfortably, and then the option is I could step up, I could take a significant pay raise, we could maybe live in a nicer house, but I'm going to lose 10 to 15 hours of my time with my family and hours for service in the church. And that's where you've got to reconsider, if Christ is the guiding principle of your, of your thing, that's not an obvious yes answer. But I think for most people, yeah, if I can move up, of course I'm going to move up. If I can go up the ladder, of course I'm going to go up the ladder. Um, and that's, that's what I was trying to get at the end. There are places in the world that's not an option. This is your job or you die. You know, but I don't have enough time with my family. You know, yeah, I'm speaking about first world countries, our country, where you have these types of choices, where you have these types of options, and trying to think of principles going through them. Lee, you were going to say something. Yeah.
Yeah. Mm, praise God. Right. And, and, and don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying if she were to do that, that would be wrong. The point is, think it through prayerfully. Now, maybe you think, no, we could really do something significant with this, or we could... I'm just saying, don't assume the answer is yes. Paul says, with food and clothing, we'll be content. And so the danger is coming to it with greed, like, I can make more money. And, and if, you've, if you've got what you need and you're content, and you come at it saying, okay, well, what would be a wise thing? If you've got 15 hours a week you're not using, hey, I could put into profitable use, we could save some money, we could give more, hey, that's great. Um, but realizing that God's given us more work to do than simply vocation. Um, that's, that's sort of the other piece of the puzzle is just thinking through um, that one, I mean it's a challenge for me I get done with work here the temptation is rest but I gotta go home and work by loving my kids and raising my kids and loving my wife and, and there's more work to be done when, I, when I'm done here and yeah. It's not like a sin. That's 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 that is a sin. Um, no, the command of the rearing of children and the fear and admonition of the Lord is repeatedly and emphatically the responsibility of the father. It's not that he has to be the one necessarily who must carry it out, but he's the one who answers to God. He's the one who the Lord will hold an accounting for how those children were raised in his fear and admonition. And yeah, as, as if I think my wife's just sitting home eating bonbons or something, you know. You've been you've been resting all day with four kids with colds, and uh, so. Right, right, yeah. Any other thoughts or questions? Yes, Stephanie. No, yeah, but I also don't want to burden people's consciences too much the other way. I mean, in that um, Starbucks has come out very clearly. Starbucks has come out. I'm not talking about the cups. I'm not talking about the cups. We need to get over the cups. But Starbucks came out very clearly a few months back at a stockholders meeting and said, hey, this is what we're for. These are our values. We're all for this. And if you don't like that, please don't own our company. Sell your... I mean, they came out... You get. We should not be so surprised when the Canaanites act like Canaanites. Like, oh no, the Canaanites are acting like Canaanites. Um, that should not surprise us. Um, by the way, this, there's this oft, Zeb told me this is oft attributed to Luther. It's not Luther, but the way a Christian makes Christian shoes is not by put, sewing little crosses into them, but by making good shoes. You know, the way Christians make good coffee is not by putting Bible verses on the cup, but making good coffee. That's why Starbucks fails. I don't make good coffee, but sorry. I think it tastes burnt. Sorry, it's just me. Um, oh, no, no, and if you want to. No, no, if you want to, fine. My point is I don't want to burden someone's conscience as though now I work at Starbucks. That's the only job I could find. Or, or I'm, it's convenient. It's a good fit for me. Their hours fit my schedule. Well, Starbucks is a heavy supporter of... I mean, you got to understand, John the Baptist, when, when Roman centurions came, understand all the carnage and the pillaging and the evil done by Rome, told soldiers in the Roman army, look, just don't accuse falsely. Be content with your wages. 
He didn't tell him, oh, you're part of an evil superpower. You need to get out. There are degrees of separation, you know, where, where you can work for somebody. And even though, so, you know, you're right. These are, I'm saying, these are factors you need to be considered, but I don't want to just burden someone's conscience that because I work for this company, they donate to this company, they donate to this company, I need to repent. Um, there's a sense which you meant, dude, they just pay me to dig the ditch. <laughs> you know, like, so it's, it, it's, it's just things to consider. I don't want to, I don't want to, otherwise you'll have no job you can work because everybody's going to do something sinful with it. Yeah. Daniel's a great example of that. There's another good example. Babylon, a, a, I mean, they took Daniel, just kidnapped him, almost certainly castrated him. You don't get put in the care of the chief of the eunuchs, generally, unless you're a eunuch. Daniel never has a wife, never has kids. Almost certainly Daniel's a eunuch. So you get kidnapped, cast, emasculated, and, uh, he served them well, and he gave good advice, and he knew what lines he couldn't cross. I'm not going to worship your gods. He, he, he'd draw the line, but he, he, was a, I mean, he, he survived three regime changes. He, he outlived Nebuchadnezzar, his son, Belteshazzar, and then he's there when Cyrus shows up. Um, so Daniel was a useful, did good political advice for wicked kings who tried to set up false theocratic worship. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar is making everyone worship a statue of him. The guy's evil. God eventually gets his attention, but the guy's evil. And Daniel doesn't say, well, he, and I'm sure he wasn't telling him how to make the statue better, but, I mean, but in the areas he can work in faith, I'm sure Daniel was doing that. And it's clear that Daniel knew what lines he couldn't cross, what lines he could cross. But <laughs> Lions are lions. Very good. Okay. Yes, Dave. Ah, the importance of punctuation. Let him who steals, steal. No more working with his hands. Yes, yes. Very well done, Dave. The Bible also says there is no God. It's just important to know that Psalm 14, 1 says, the fool says there is no God. It's the importance of context, Dave. Well done, well done. Okay, any other, any other questions? Yes. Yes. Idleness. I, I, no, absolutely. I mean, we recognize that our bodies weaken with age, I, that we will not be able to put the same effort and time in. Next week when we talk about rest, you know, your body may need more rest as it gets older. Um, and so preparing for that is absolutely a fine thing to do. The, 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 the main thing I'm trying to get at is this notion that work is something I have to put up with, but once I retire, then I can not have to work anymore and just sort of play. Um, I'm going to read to you. I didn't this morning. We're going to go over. So I was. I didn't read this Piper quote, but I'll read this Piper quote to you. It's supposed to be in the sermon. From "Don't Waste Your Life," page forty-five. I will tell you what tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider a story from February 1998 edition of Reader's Digest, which tells about a couple who took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. 
They now live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. At first, I thought it might be a joke, a spoof on the American dream, but it wasn't. Tragically, this was the dream. Come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life, and let the last great work of your life before you give an account to the Creator be this, playing and collecting shells. Picture them before Christ on the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, look at my seashell collection. This is a tragedy, and people are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. Over and against that, I put my protest. Don't buy it. Don't waste your life. Now, there's nothing wrong in taking a vacation and collecting some seashells, having hobbies. The point is, if you've, if you've got a vision where I will enter into a stage of my life that is purely rest, purely leisure, purely entertainment, that is not a notion you get in the Bible. That goes back to the notion of the widow. I mean, you had a 65, she had to be 65 years old in 1 Timothy to even be considered for the widow's list. And Paul says, look, don't just put anyone on that widow's list. If she's laboring in supplications and prayers night and day, but she who is self-indulgent is dead while she lives. She just watches her soap operas, eats her bonbons, gets her hair done. If that's, if that's your life, is just leisure and self-indulgence. Paul said, quote, such a person is dead while they live. And you don't have to be 65 years old to be dead while you live in that way. Um, that, so that you know, you're absolutely right. There's nothing wrong in shifting from the work you do and shifting the type of things you do. Um, I think my mom, I mean, think about this. Is spending time with your grandkids, helping walk, that's work, that's all. The point is useful, meaningful things. Did I do anything today that is any value? Or did I just please myself? Did I, did, I, did I do anything that was a blessing to anyone else? And again, this gets the, back to the focus of outwards or inwards. Or did I simply organize my day to please and serve me and my comfort and my leisure? That, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about, I don't get a paycheck anymore. No, you're not being idle in that case. Does that answer your question or am I more or less? So yeah, saving up so that you don't have to punch a time card and you can do other things is great, but, but you can talk to people who struggle with retirement because God didn't, you, if you try to be idle, you will not, you will not be happy. Talk, talk to people who've tried it. That was the point getting back to sloth. Idleness begets more idleness. Rather than being satisfied, you actually crave more. That's the great irony. Um, how many people, I've done this, um, back, back in the day, you know, you don't feel like going to work, you call in, you just watch some TV. At the end of the day, you feel worthless. You don't, you don't feel rested and refreshed. You just feel lethargic and, eh, you know. Um, and that's what the scripture says. The irony is you'd imagine that person would be rested. Now next week, there's a, absolutely a God-given place for rest and refreshment and leisure and even entertainment. Um, but when we take it, steal it out of season uh, and out of turn, it, it, like the manna that was hoarded will rot. Um, any other? Yes. Ooh, that's a great question. Go to First Timothy six. Here's the other text I didn't read. Now, again, remember, First Timothy does not say having riches is wrong. It's wanting them, pursuing them, striving after them. That is wrong. First Timothy six seventeen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. So the first is not to be arrogant. 
understand back in Deuteronomy that passage that the Lord gives us the power to make wealth. If if you've made some money, if you've if you've got some money in the bank, that's not necessarily just a credit on you. That's that's God's faithfulness as well. Don't be proud and arrogant, nor set your hopes in uncertain riches. One way to tech, by the way, if you've set your hopes in the uncertainty of riches, is how much your hopes get crushed if the stock market plunges, if if they get threatened to be taken away. It's generally the most surest sign of what we put our hope in is how we respond when what we put our hope in is put in doubt. Not to put their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And notice that it's to enjoy. One of the things we'll talk about next week, it's okay to enjoy things. He's given us everything to enjoy. They are to do good. Now notice, they aren't to be idle either. There's work to be done. They're rich. I don't need to punch in a time card. Fair enough. You're still to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Be, be generous. Don't be clutching your money with a closed fist. Have an open fist. Don't worry about bank. And be more concerned about stockpiling treasures in heaven than treasures on earth. And how do you know when you've crossed that line? It's probably hard to know until you get tested. But the other thing that, that, the, that we need to consider, too, is this. Just because you make... The other, the other assumption we get in, in the West is, of course, if I make more money, I should live nicer. Now, where does that logic come from? In other words, this is a, an assumption that we just got to just question. Why is it that I would assume that because I make more money, God wants me to live more comfortably? You know, and these are just questions to ask. So the issue isn't how much money you make, how much you have in the bank. It's how much you put your hope in it, how much you cling to it, and how much you indulge yourself. And and then it takes wisdom to know, you know, is this eighth vacation of the year self-indulgent or is it necessary? You know, um, is this is this summer home a good thing that's being done for rest and for relaxation, and we're going to bless others with it, or is this just about indulging myself? And it's going to be heart by heart, case by case. Um, I mean, I, you'll see next week, but it's not as though God just calls us to some austere, just working at the grindstone, never giving up, never taking a break. Put, don't. One of the things I think Christians can sometimes think is that if I was really being faithful, um, I would never sit down and stop. There's people. I mean, how can I watch TV? People are dying and going to hell. How can I watch TV? People are starving around the world. How can I go out to dinner and buy, you know, um, you know? buy a, a, an expensive meal when there are people dying and starving. And so there's this, at the back of our minds, this notion that like, if I really examined this, if I really offered this up to the Lord, I would never be doing this. I'd be eating beans and rice every day, living in a shack. I don't think that's true. Um, I don't think that's true at all. And next week we'll look at that. But But certainly the danger is, I deserve this. You know, and, and all of it needs to be offered up to God. Lord, what type of lifestyle do you want us to live, Lord? What, how, how do you want us, what type of home do you want us to buy? Um, the, the American dream generally goes something like this. I'm going to look at my aptitudes, look at my desires, and consider the career options and school options, and I will find the, the um, avenue, the, the vocation, which fits with my desires and makes the most money. And let's face it, when you're going through the college things, you're picking your, you're picking your classes, you, you know part of you is looking at, okay, what's the average income of, you know, um, 
And and so then you go, and you, the goal is to to make as much money as you can, um, and to, to enable you to live in a nice, comfortable home in a nice, comfortable neighborhood where there's a good school for your kids. And the Christian version of that dream just adds in and a decent church on the block. And this gets back to Christ ordering your your uh, Christ ordering your life. When what you should be starting by thinking, because you're not fundamentally a banker, you're not fundamentally a salesman, you're not fundamentally a programmer. You're a Christian. Christ has work for me to do, and some of that work is ministries. This ties in with our study on the spiritual gifts. What type of job will put me in the best position both to meet our financial needs but to free me to do the other things I need to do? There are some jobs that force people away from their family and homes for months at a time. I strongly encourage men, not if they can, and I know, I know the climates, it's, there's times where it's not possible. I know there, there's sometimes there's a lack of options. There aren't jobs. But where you have the freedom to not do that, don't do that. Yeah, but I can make a ton of money. So what? You, you have other responsibilities to your wife, to your children, that you, you're going to have to set aside, you know? Um, don't do that if you don't have to. And again, I know that there are certain situations where that's really, no, I have, there's not any other options. Okay, okay, fair enough. Um, but but that's, that's what we should, as Christians do is, is think, okay, I, I want to raise a family. I want to be um, a husband and father. I want to do these things. Okay, now as I'm considering my job, what's going to give me the flexibility to do those things? And again, if you live in a country where it's basically pick rice or die, these aren't really big, you know, thoughtful discussion processes that you have. But in the West, yeah, you need to think through those things. Um, and if you're moving yourself up a ladder that's going to isolate you from your family and isolate you from your potential children, you, you might want to think twice about that. Because um, you'll be sacrificing the other work God has for you to do on the altar of vocation. Um, so that's, that's, anyway. Any other thoughts, questions, observations, complaints? haiku yes oh who's what hey Zach you were just doing something with your hands what was that oh okay yes JP Aside from going, aside from going to the ballot box, what is a Christian's responsibility with politics? With ten minutes left in the class, <laughs> punt. I'm punting that one, JP. We'll chat. Uh, we can spend like a Sunday with that if you want. That might even actually be a good topical message in Christian and politics. But um, we try to be. The short answer is we try to be as good citizens as we can. We give to Caesar the honor that we're to give Caesar. We are to. Um, not grumble. We are to not only obey where we can obey in conscience, but we're to do it with the, with the right spirit and not grumbling. I think as Christians, we know that we ought not to like steal from Caesar, but we, oh, if I'm going to pay Caesar, at least I'm going to grumble about it. Um, that doesn't honor God. Um, and politics is a really, really slippery slope because again, the whole art of politics is, is consolidating consolidating power, consolidating votes, getting your, your group together. And it can be done. The danger is the gospel gets sidelined to do it. Because I'm going to get my group together, my anti-abortion group, to get my bill passed, and I'm going to join hands with Mormons and Catholics and secularists. And the problem is, if I tell those same people in my group, oh, by the way, unless you repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus, you're going to hell, my group's going to blow up. 
So this could be a very, very, very strong temptation for me to not really mention that and to get the bill passed. And that's that. those are the slippery issues that become difficult because politics generally doesn't work unless you're sidelining issues to get what we all agree on. So I think it's a really difficult path. I think God has and, call, has and can call people to political fields. I just, to me, it looks like a minefield of, of dangers. And I'm not for a second saying it can't be treaded or walked or done. I just... <laughs> That, that looks really challenging to me to be a Christian politician just because of all those types of little compromises you may not even catch yourself making. And I, we should pray, especially for those who name the name of Christ and the government, we should pray for them that God would give them that wisdom. But it's a real, real sticky wicket. Yes. Someone else saw a hand. Yes. No, no. Um, did the early church, just for the record, did the early church have Roman flags in their platform? Um, I think they may well have. I don't know. I mean, I don't think they had a platform. They met in homes. So did individual Christians, were any of them proud of their, I mean, do you think like a centurion might not have his, you know, be proud of Rome, proud of what he does? I think so. I mean, we, we actually thought through the placement of our flag. I think it's good for us as a church to give honor to Caesar, give honor to our to our country. And yet, I think there's another danger of, of so mixing the two that we confuse Christianity in America and patriotism. Um, and so, you know, the flag's there. It's not right under the thing, you know. It's not like, I want people to, be able to focus on the singing and not just singing in the American flag. It's there. And I think it's good that we, somewhere in our building, have something to indicate, hey, we want to honor Caesar. Hey, we want to... Um, want to give honor to Caesar, but I don't want to, I also don't want to communicate gathering together as a church to worship God is somehow involving America. (laughs) The church is transnational, right? All people, all groups, It, it transcends nations. It transcends individual borders. And so we gather together as God's people. We, we, this is an embassy of a different nation entirely. And so while we respect the nation whose borders we're in and we honor the nation whose borders we're in, we come together as people of another altogether different nation than America. And so we don't want to confuse. So it's, it's a balancing act of uh, you don't want to just you know, to heck with the government, and yet you don't want to confuse Christianity and Americanism and, and patriotism as if they're the same thing. And so I, I'm, I'm quite comfortable with our flag. It's there. It's not front and center. We don't have a big spotlight on it. I think that's good, you know, um, you know, and, and I'm sure other people have other opinions, but that's my thoughts. Anyone want to? Yes, Dean. I'm not aware of a Christian flag. What? I had, there wasn't, I had questions for Brent there, too. Oh, no, no, no. I, I'm just saying I don't understand what on earth it is. I, I mean, I'm sure somebody made it. And I'm sure, so I, I looked it up on Wikipedia. It only dates back about 60 or 70 years, as far as I can tell. And I have no idea what it is. What, what, what cold is it supposed to have over my conscience? I went to Camp Good News. I had to pledge allegiance to it. I never could pledge allegiance to it. Because yeah. if I'm going to pledge something, I'm going to mean it. I have no, I pledge allegiance to the, I'm going to be, I'm going to, I will hold my allegiance to this flag. I'm, I know Brent knew that I, couldn't in conscience do that, and so he never asked me to. I, 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 someone's got to sit me down and explain what I am pledging here, because I, I, God doesn't want me to make oaths lightly, 
and I have no idea what this flag is that I'm pledging my allegiance to. Because I'm not just pledging my allegiance to the Savior. I'm pledging my allegiance to this flag. That's the pledge, right? I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to the Savior for whose kingdom it stands. If you want me to pledge my allegiance to Christ, amen and amen. I have no idea what this flag is, who made it, where it came from, what it is. So, I'm sorry. And so my, so my, this is, this is not something, Dean, we've had, when you say, was it by accident or was it by design? It is more by accident than anything. When we remodeled the front of the church, all the flags came down. And then during the time that all the flags were down, a couple of people asked us, hey, where's the flag? And that's when we realized we probably need to think through what we're going to do. And we have been pretty busy lately, but I'll put it on the agenda. It'll be coming up soon. Are we going to put the, so we put the American, we, we all agreed. We definitely want the American flag on the platform. That, that makes sense. We haven't really thought about the Christian flag and we will. So it's only by accident that it's not there now. It's, I'm giving you my opinion. Let me be really clear. What I just said about me not understanding, the, there might be a great answer. Jeb Brewer might be like, oh, here's what the Christian flag is and what it means. I am not the elder board. I am an elder on the elder board. The elders have not decided on that issue. I just voiced my own opinion and thoughts. But my issue is I don't want to burden people's consciences as if they ought to revere. They ought to, um, you ought to homage this flag when you gather to worship the Lord. I certainly don't want to do it while I don't understand what it is that I'm foisting upon their consciences. Um, so I'm not saying it's wicked or evil. I don't understand it. And and I don't mean to understand like it confuses me. I just, I don't fully know what it means or what it is. Um, and I certainly don't want someone to feel like if they're going to gather to worship the Lord, they need to also have allegiance to this flag. I know Iwana, I'm not saying it's wicked that Iwana does it. I don't get it. And I uh, don't see any, personally, don't see how gathering to worship God would require his flag here. But that's just no that but Dean, that's just me and I, again I'm one eighth of the elder board and we have not decided this and I certainly don't think it would be wrong of us to put it on the platform. I don't think it would be sinful for us to put it on the platform. I, I um I mean in, in the same way that I wouldn't think it would be sinful to put up a painting of a puppy dog or something. The decorum of where we worship isn't something that scripture's really given us a whole lot of precepts that are binding on. So don't hear me say I think it's wicked or wrong. Um, but th anyway, that's probably sounds like I'm talking on both sides of my mouth, but Dean, is that any further questions? That is that okay? We're going to talk about it, but yeah, I, I, I'd want as few things to distract people from coming before God as possible. I really love the rock. I think it just sort of blends everything. I think that's cool. Um, but what, what? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, Yeah. Yeah. Whatever you do, do well. If you're going to paint this wall, paint it well. Craftsman. Sure. Right. This isn't a tabernacle. You are. And on that note, we will break. God bless you all. Have a good Sunday. Um, we'll see you next week.